Welcome to another episode of the New Life Podcast. Thanks for listening in. For more info on service times and locations, you can find us at newlifefoursquare.org. In this episode, Pastor Thel Bringus begins our series, The Final Days of Jesus, with John 13, the parable of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. His message serves as a powerful reminder. The highest form of worship is serving others. series of messages uh, starting the day. Does anyone of you here know what a foot washing service is? Has anyone been in one foot washing ceremony? Uh, a few years ago we did it with our leadership team and we were in West Los Angeles in the Santa Monica area, Venice area. The former occupants or actually owners of the church we were holding worship at the time would, I would say, would fall under the category of a cult. They left behind a lot of things, i.e. hymns, books, reading materials, pictures on the wall, some book of M, uh, items that appear to be harmless and innocent, inoffensive, all kinds of stuff scattered inside that church. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not one to go around praying or casting spirits out of church buildings or throwing out hymn books and books and reading materials and removing pictures on the wall because of some resident evil in these inanimate objects. However, in this particular building, we felt there was something that these items that, that were left behind and we felt that we need to get rid of all of them. And so after a time of prayer and even fasting, we set a cleansing Sunday service. We gathered all of the stuff, the leftovers kind of a thing, objects, items, and dumped them in the garbage bin and disposed of all of them. And we organized prayer teams that had gone from room to room to room, every nook and corner of that church, sanctuary, a fellowship hall, bathrooms, kitchen, nursery, utility room, was prayed over. And there was a baptistry on the platform. One of the ordinances of the former occupants was the baptism for the dead. A living person acting as proxy is baptized on behalf of a deceased person of the same sex. And this is based on their belief that baptism is required for the entry of this particular one that died into the kingdom of God. And so I asked some three of our men to take the cover off, and three of our leaders jumped in and started praying. And about the time that they were doing that, there was a foul stench that came out of that baptistry. But what was so amazing about this cleansing service is that it was not long after that the church began to experience growth and expansion and freedom in our worship like never before. People were coming from all over Southern California, from Lancaster, Palmdale, Rancho Cucamonga, South Bay, Orange County, all over the place they were coming in. We had to knock the walls down in the main sanctuary because of it. And it was on the heels of this move of God that somehow in our 
our, our staff, someone on our staff rather, recommended that we do a foot washing ceremony. Now, I had not been to one of these, and neither our leadership team except one, and the one who suggested that we have this. Each leader, staff member, washes the foot of the person next to him or her. And the purpose of the ceremony is to remind us that we are here to serve the people we were assigned to lead, that we are servants. It follows the example of that Jesus demonstrated in the text that we'll be looking at this morning. This was the occasion where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples one week before he was crucified. Now, I'll be honest with you. If I could gracefully bow out of this ritual, I would. It's not because I don't want to be a servant. And it's not because I don't want to be washed the feet of another person. It is because I don't want someone touching my feet. I've discovered that I was not alone in this. Most people who have ever been through a foot washing ceremony or service feel awkward about it. Not about washing the feet of another, but about getting your feet washed by someone else. Because have you seen your foot lately? Don't look now. <laughs> Do it first thing when you get home. But take it from me. They are ugly. That said, I need to tell you, notwithstanding the awkwardness, the discomfort, the uneasiness, the self-consciousness, that it was a powerful moving, impressive, touching, and inspiring spiritual experience for all of us that were involved in the foot washing ceremony. And I might add a very humbling and humiliating experience. Now in the story that we look at today, Peter objected too. He did not feel completely comfortable with it. But Jesus was teaching his disciples some lessons about himself, some lessons about themselves, the disciples, and some lessons about how they were to relate to one another and to relate to the world around them. I'd like for us to look at this story today. And now, so look, we normally think of this story as a demonstration of the type of servant attitude that we are to have toward one another, and it certainly is that. But there are some other truths here that I want us to explore today as we consider the deeper meaning of this particular story. So turn with me to John 13, if you will. Or should I say, turn your smartphones to John 13 and keep it there. All right? Don't be tempted to access your email or your Facebook or your Instagram pretending you are looking at the text. I am watching you. And I'll call you out. All right, one problem we have in approaching this story is that 
we don't fully understand the, the significance of Jesus' actions because in our culture there is, there is not really a counterpart to it. Because in the days of the New Testament, the roads of Palestine were unpaved and they were unclean. And, and since sandals were the typical footwear, no socks, it was inevitable that when you walked anywhere, your feet would get really, really dirty. And the rest of you might be clean, but your feet would be caked with dirt and with, with dust and grime and mud. And for this particular reason, there were typically large water pots in the entryway of each house. And a servant or a slave would come with a large pitcher of water and a towel, and he would wash your feet when you entered, and then he would wipe it dry with a towel. Now, a person did not get embarrassed to have his feet washed when he entered the home of a friend. Why? Because it was, a, it was a common practice of hospitality. It was the culture of the day. Much like today, when you, for example, are invited for dinner at a friend's house all right, on a cold winter night, why, you have a heavy jacket, and the host would offer to what? Take your coat off. Want you to make you feel comfortable as you enter. It was also the act of a slave. It is conceivable that you might enter a friend's house and you, as you stood on the entryway, the owner would come out and greet you with, hello, how are you? It's good to see you. How's the family? How's job? How's your kids? How's your grandkids? How, how's business? And, 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 and you and he might exchange some banter while the slave is busy going about his job of washing your feet and drying them out with the towel. And you probably would not even notice or acknowledge the slave in any way. Why? That is how it was back then. And so the night of the Last Supper, when Jesus got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water in a basin and began washing the disciples' feet, they were shocked. They were surprised because he was not acting like a master. He was not acting like a rabbi. He was not acting like a teacher. He was acting like a servant. He was acting like a slave. Now, imagine if you were to go to work tomorrow, and your boss called you and all of the other employees into the conference room. He came in with a brush and a rag and some polish and began shining everyone's shoes. Now, would you be surprised? That gives you some idea of what the disciples must have felt, must have thought that day. Now, why did Jesus do it? And as I examined the story, three things came to the surface. When he washed their feet, Jesus was communicating certain spiritual truths and disciplines to his disciples. And since you and I are his disciples and followers as well, we need them to assimilate these spiritual truths in our lives. And the first reason, and rather lesson in this story, is that Jesus wants you to know, there it is, 
the full extent of his love for you. Now, these are not my words. They are John's, the gospel writer. Verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that a time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own in, who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And then he went about washing their feet. Matthew 20, 28 says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to be a servant. Now, yes, I agree with you. He has called us to serve him. We know that. I repeat, he has called us to serve him. I get that. You hear that taught and preached over this pulpit almost every week. But I want you to realize where the process begins. Jesus came to serve you. He came to minister to you. He came to meet your needs. He came to fill the void in your life, to take away the pain and the sorrow and the guilt and the frustration and replace with peace that passes all understanding. Jesus came for you. He came to serve you. The most obvious example of this is the death of Christ on the cross. Philippians chapter 2, from the message. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He did not claim the privileges, special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus' life on earth was all about serving others. He came to serve and serves us still. There are some today who will be taken aback or bewildered by this idea. And they will say, you know, what, what do you mean? What do you mean God serves us? What do you mean Jesus serves us? That cannot be true. We serve him. Yes, a hundred times yes. We are called to a life of service. But I want you to understand what comes first. Before you can be of service to anyone else, you must first have the experience of him serving you, blessing you, ministering to you, saving you, healing you, delivering you, changing you, transforming you. You know, and the prayer of Javis became popular. There were so many people who had trouble with the first point of that prayer, and it was this. The prayer says, Lord, bless me indeed. And I heard people say that it was a prayer of those who are materialistic and self-absorbed. However, the fact is that you cannot give to others or give back to God when you, what, with, with, with what you have not received. 
You cannot be a blessing until you are blessed. You cannot give away God's love until you have received God's love. And you cannot pour out your life to others until God has poured out his life into you. And for this reason, Jesus came to serve you. He came to minister to you. So what do you need from him? Do you need a friend who loves you? A friend who accepts you as you are, who forgives you, your sins, your mistakes, and encourages you to try again? He came to be that kind of friend. Do you need strength of character? Do you need a stronger will? Do you need healing emotionally or physically? He came to minister to you. What is it that you need? So the full extent of his love for you is that Jesus Christ came into this world to serve others, and that includes you, it includes me, and includes all of humankind. And if you have some residual pride or residual guilt that causes you to say, no, no, I cannot accept the idea that Jesus came to serve me, then I want you to notice the next truth we see in this story. There is no other model for the Christian life. Number two, Jesus washed the disciples' feet that night, and when he got to Peter, Peter replied, Oh, no, 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 you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Imagine Peter watching Jesus wash the other disciples' feet, all the while moving closer to him. Seeing his master behave like a slave must have bothered him, must have confused him, because he still did not understand Jesus' teaching that to be a leader, a person must be a servant. This uncomfortable truth challenges leaders today who find it difficult to serve those under their authority, those who are working with them or under them. How do you treat those who work with you? How do you treat those who are members of your ministry team? How do you treat your employees or your staff members? And when Jesus responded, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me, Jesus must have meant that unless he washed Peter's sins by his death on the cross, Peter could no, have no relationship with him. Or, secondly, he meant that unless Peter submitted to him and allowed him to minister to him in this way, Peter would never learn the lesson of servanthood. Either way, 
Peter seemed to understand, to grasp the significance of Jesus' words when he said, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. For he then wanted to be bathed completely. He says, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. Listen, if you don't allow Jesus to wash you, to minister to you, to meet your needs, you cannot be a part of his kingdom. The defining moment of the Christian life is not what we do for him. Rather, it is what he does for us, in us, and through us. A man was talking about his ministry, and he made this statement. He said, I do all the work. God gets all the glory. Well, that statement received a round of applause. But do you know what, folks? That is not really how it works. Because if you think that you are going to do everything for God and you will be a big help for his cause, an indispensable player on his team, that he is so lucky that you are on his team, you are headed to a lot of heartache and pain and frustration and disappointment. This is not the model for the Christian to follow. Not at all. That's not how it works. We don't come to God with our plate full and share with him from the abundance of our strength and the goodness of our heart and our talents. No, we come to him with our plate empty. We have nothing to offer him. Nothing good. None. And he says to you, here, let me wash you. Let me cleanse you. Let me take away the dirt and the grime and the, the past and make you clean inside and out. Let me serve you. Let me help you. Let me heal you. Let me bind your wounds. And he says, this is the only way. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. The phrase, unless I wash you, is not referring only to forgiveness or salvation, by the way. It's also referring to the daily, ongoing relationship that we have with him in which he ministers to us. He's referring to the totality of his involvement in your life and in my life. And this, my dear friends, is the only way it can be. We come to him. We come to him dirty. And he makes us clean. We come to him weak and he makes us strong. We come to him empty and he fills us up to overflowing. There are some of you here today who have been frustrated by the failure you are experiencing in your Christian life. You've, got, you've tried to get in God's good side by being better than you can be, but it doesn't work that way. You've tried to win points with God by doing him favors. And God is not asking for favors. 
You say, well, I'll, I'll give some money. I'll give some time. I'll do some good deeds. I'll help others. I will do all the work for God, and God will get the glory. Wanting to glorify and exalt God with your life is the right idea, but you have got to start in the right place. You've got to let Jesus Christ minister to you. You've got to let him feed your soul and strengthen your spirit. You've got to let him meet your needs and wash away your sins and take away your hurts, your pain. You've got to let him serve you. You've got to do this first every day. There's no other model for successful Christian living. That means that you have to let go of the idea that we can come to God with brilliant words and uh, of a praise and we've come to him with powerful deeds of service. Those things are, will happen, but only if, only if, on a consistent basis you come to him first empty-handed, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. I come to thee without anything, just as I am. So come to Jesus just as you are, and allow him to minister to you. Now, Jesus wants you to realize the full extent of his love for you. He wants you to understand that there is no other model for living the Christian life. And thirdly and last, he wants you to follow his example of servant leadership. Verse 12 through 14. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Years ago, when I first arrived in the United States, and that was years ago, with Pop and Mom Thompson, we lived in the missionary home assigned to missionary families that are coming home on furlough. There was this dumpster that is located around the block, around the back side of the apartment building. And there was one time when instead of taking the trash out that night before pickup, we placed it outside the front door and intending to take it out the following day. Now you get in the habit of putting your trash by the front door so that you'll remember to take it out the next time you leave. The lead pastor in Angelus Temple at that time was a wonderful man. He was a great expositor. I mean, tremendous speaker, exceptional speaker and communicator. He had authored several books, most prominent is the book, The Foundations of, of Pentecostal Theology. He co-wrote that book with Dr. Nathaniel Van Cleve. 
He was a professor at Occidental College in Eagle Rock, admired and respected by not only the denomination, but also by the National Council of Evangelical Churches. He and his wife lived on the second floor, right above where we lived. On the morning that we, or I, was to take the trash out, opened the door and saw that the trash bag was gone. I looked out the window, and there he was, walking forward toward the front and around to the parking lot to dump our trash in the bin. My first thought was, he should not be taking my trash out. I should be taking his trash. My second thought was that this is completely consistent with his character. He had a way of serving his staff, his congregation, looking out for them, and taking care of them. And through his example, his staff learned how to serve the people under their care. I know because later I served under him as worship leader. When a famous actor in Hollywood for the first time came to Hollywood, his agent took him out to eat in a very expensive restaurant. And after the meal, this famous actor put his knife and fork on the, and on the plate and he covered it with his napkin to make it easier for the waiter to remove. And his agent scolded him. He said, you are not a busboy. You are a Hollywood star. Learn to act like one. Jesus would say the opposite. You are not a star. You are a servant. Practice being one. And then he would say, you can follow my example. I look after you, I serve you, I minister to you, I meet your needs according to my riches and glory. I do this for you so that you will be empowered to do it for others. For there is no better way to lead and influence people than to serve them. In the United States, among sports fans, often you hear this conversation, actually a heated debate, and a, a frequent topic of discussion that is centered on the question, who is the GOAT? GOAT is the acronym, G-O-A-T, of what? Greatest of all time. Now you know, if you didn't know that. That's what it stands for. Who is the GOAT? Well, every sport has its own list of GOATs. In basketball, it is pretty much undisputed that MJ, Michael Jordan, is the GOAT, or the greatest of all time. Though occasionally, LeBron James. And now that Kobe Bryant is gone, you know, they get in the conversation as well. Basketball, football, baseball, boxing, hockey, you know, bicycling, you know, the goat list could be very, very, very long. 
just about everybody has an opinion about who is the GOAT in every sport category. And they love to argue the merits of their case to anyone who will listen. So the debate continues, and it is a never-ending topic. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus was walking along and talking with his disciples, and he just dropped something of a bombshell on them. He told them that in just a few days, he would be betrayed, put to death, and then afterward, he would rise again. But apparently, his disciples were not listening to him. Instead, they were arguing among themselves, having a heated discussion about which of them was the greatest. And Jesus was about to suffer a humiliating and painful death. And when he told his disciples about that, they did not hear one word that he said because Peter, James, and John, and the rest were arguing over which one deserves to have the promotion. You cannot focus on what matters most in life as long as you think you are what matters most in life. In verse 9, of cha in, in chapter 9, verse 30, in Mark, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve. Now, I love how Mark includes the phrase sitting down, because when a rabbi was really teaching as a master, instructing his students in life's most meaningful principles of life, he would sit down to teach. This is one of those what I call sit-down moments because Jesus is about to tell his disciples what success and greatness is really all about. In verse 35, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, Jesus would teach this again, this principle again, <clears throat> in a couple of days, when he tells his disciples, Mark 10, 43, 44, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. Now, listen. Jesus did not say, Jesus did not say, if you want to be first, you want to be great leader, well, shame on you. Jesus did not say, if you want to be the best at what you do, the best person you can possibly be, stop it. Don't even think about it. He didn't say that. Instead, in effect, Jesus said, if you want to be a leader, if you want to succeed in life, if you want to be the first and the best, then good for you. And here is how you do it. You serve. That's how. You make your life about all you do for others. You define yourself by what you do for others. In every role that you play in life, parents, spouses here, employer, employee, volunteer, ministry leader, pastor, and on and on and on. In everything you do, 
You have the option every day to make it all about you or make it all about others. You or them. You have the option to make it all about what you do or what they do for you or make it all about what you do for them. Guess what? Jesus says that the way to greatness in the kingdom of God is to make your life all about what you do for others. Husbands, fathers, do you want to be the leader of your family? Well, that means you serve your family. Ministry leaders, do you want to make an impact in the kingdom of God? That means you are here to serve others. Business person who you're here, do you want to make an impact in the kingdom of God? Man, I tell you, then make your job all about serving people and their needs. I'm inviting you today to put a lot of thought over who you serve and how you serve them. I'm inviting you today to put a lot of thought into how you can make each day, each situation about the service you offer to others. I'm inviting you today to make a, a, a point to see everything you do through the filter of how your efforts can be a blessing to others. Dr. Albert Schweitzer, missionary in Africa, said, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the only ones among you who will really be happy are those who have sought and found how you serve. You know, we talk often about building leaders, and without doubt, the church needs leaders. I mean, committed leaders, dedicated leaders. But do you know where leadership really begins? It begins with a servant's heart. And listen, until you are ready to serve, you will never be ready to lead. Until you are ready to serve, you'll never be ready to lead. You know, we talk sometimes quite often about, and it gets heated sometimes, you know, about styles of worship, contemporary, liturgical, traditional, formal, informal, and on and on and on. And we foolishly think that worship is about the kind of music that we play or the type of, of songs we sing, Hillsong, Bethel, Elevation, Tommy Walker, Integrity, Maranatha, hymns, all in all, you know, do you know what the greatest form of worship is? Dr. Billy Graham says, the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. And the greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and the helpless. That, my dear friends, is what 
Real worship is about, and it has nothing to do with lights, nothing to do with sound or special effects, high-tech multimedia presentation, drama, and worship bands, and singers, and smoke machines, and candles, and incense. Now, the highest form of worship is serving others. The highest form of worship is serving others. Mother Teresa said, at the end of life, we will not be judged by how great things we have done. We will be judged by, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was homeless, and you took me in. Greatness, my dear friends, is not an accolade you receive. It is service that you render. Make everything you do, every encounter you have, every situation you face, make it all about serving others. This is our model of servant leadership, that we share with others the fullness of God that he has put in our lives. And as the saying goes, we're blessed to be a blessing. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, and he symbolically wants to wash your feet too today. So let him, will you? Let him serve you. Let him minister to you. Let him give you what you need. And experience the fullness of his love for you. For there is no other model for successful Christian living. You come to him empty, you go away full, you know? And everything that he pours into your life, you pour into the lives of others. You serve them because Christ has served you. What would you do if you knew, if you knew you only have one week to live? Would you go away? Would you go home? Would you go back to the homeland? Would you do some last-minute sinning? Or would you do some last-minute repenting or praying? Would you be sad? Would you be angry? Would you be afraid? Would you be hopeful? Would you be fearful? How would you spend those final hours? When Jesus had one week to live, he chose to wash his disciples' feet. He did, he did the work of a common servant, a common slave, ministering to those who were closest to him. In John 13, he washed their feet. In John 14, he comforted them. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house of many rooms, it were not so, I would have told you. I go, prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. In John 15 and 16, he encouraged them. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In John 17, he prayed for them. 
My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. He was not praying for isolation. He was praying for insulation. While they are in the world, protect them. In John 18, he was arrested and taken to Annas and then to Pilate. In John 19, he was sentenced to be crucified and died for them and died for you and died for me. He spent the last week of his life fulfilling his purpose. He spent the last week of his life being a servant. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. You and me, we have a week to live this week. And most probably hundreds more. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I want to spend this week fulfilling my purpose, doing that which is most important in terms of eternity, serving Christ and serving others. This is how we put into action and practice the spiritual truths we learn in the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples one week before he was crucified.